Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. So last week, we spoke about running for president and right. the problems facing the country today. Yeah. And I mentioned how I'm running for president yes. officially on the Federal Election Commission. It's half joke, half serious. And I didn't say what I stood for. But Jay, yeah. what else did we speak about last week? We speak about the difference between prime minister and president. Oh, yeah. And fascism and all that kind of stuff. And we spoke about what happened if president and vice president died. And then we also spoke about how government organization is kind of mafia-like. Yeah, that's right. Although it's not, we concluded. But then yeah. we also talked about inflation last week yes. and what's causing it where the Federal Reserve might be wrong. And we talked about how, I hate to sound like a libertarian or any particular party, but really when government interferes in things, it kind of messes things up. And we looked at extreme examples like the difference between Stalinist Russia and Maoist China and the United States, which are sort of the most extreme examples. But today, I promise I would talk about the most important issue and what I feel like is a unique stand on it. And I figured I would talk about it today. Let's say they did a poll of mm -hmm. everybody in the country and they asked people, what are the five most important problems you would like to see the president address? What do you think the answers would be? Okay. I, I would think if, I would think the first one would be uh, the student loan, right? Because people would just want more money. So that was a, that's, that's but one. There's 300 million people in the U.S. Let's say 200 million after kids and stuff. It's only 33 million people with student loan debt. So it's not going to be the most important issue of the country. No, but that's what I've been reading for the past three years. Yeah. 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 yeah student loan. I agree. It is a massive problem. You're right. But yep. it's not the most important problem facing no. the U.S. Yeah. So five, right? You, you said five? Yeah. Uh, and uh, gun control. And then uh, the economy, the, the, you know, the price hike, the Federal Reserve you know, interest rate. But from what I understand, government has nothing to do with it, right? Because Federal Reserve is supposed to be neutral. Right. But it is the government, though. Federal Reserve yeah. is federal. Right. It's, the, it's, part of the, it's part of the government. It is the government. Okay. That and... I mean, the president appoints the head of the Federal Reserve. And the war. Like, how would president handle the war outside of United States? Personally, I think they put too much money in the Ukraine. You know, whether whether it's money or whether it's equipment and stuff like that. By the way, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Like, let's just take Ukraine as an example right. and war as an example. I think in the modern world, it's really hard. It might be impossible now to invade another country and win. Like, look at the U.S. and Afghanistan. We were right. in Afghanistan for 18 years. And basically, we were defeated. Like, we put, yeah. we didn't. You know, maybe we got rid of Al Qaeda, but the Taliban's just as bad as they ever were, and they're going to take control of Afghanistan. Like basically, we—I don't want to say we did nothing because we did a lot, and and a lot of lives were lost and on both sides, and it's a sad thing that had to happen. And nine eleven, of course, we had to have some retribution for that, but mm -hmm. we couldn't fully invade basically the, one of the weakest countries in the world. No. And Russia is Russia invading Ukraine. It appears Russia is not going to be successful, and countries just shouldn't invade other countries anymore no. unless 
I don't know unless what like it just seems like it's a very hard thing to do unless they break uh was it the, the agreement that's a peace treaty then that's the excuse to invade right or to have a war with, well like, I don't know but, but the, then again you're never gonna win what's the yeah. last time a country invaded another country and they won no I didn't was it Russia Russia was the last country to invade the other country but I do know if they win uh, yeah I mean they invaded Ukraine and they didn't win they, they haven't been winning yet right but so, before that was it Crimea or whatever well, that was part of Ukraine, and this is still kind of, right. you know, I guess, yes, you know, sometimes with diplomacy, you know, some country doesn't want to fight, and they say, here, just take this, and then it's over. But let me ask you this. Why, why is it impossible to win now? Is it because the war is... Because it's more sophisticated the... technology and equipment. You have, mm. you have anti-aircraft missiles that actually hit aircraft. They're like guided missiles that hit aircraft. They're anti-tank missiles. Tanks are so strong but now there are missiles that could destroy tanks. And, right. you know, it's very hard. No matter what equipment you have, it's very hard to fight the anti-equipment. Right. And no matter what, like, you could say, oh, we we should or we shouldn't give money to Ukraine. And look, it's been a very good thing that Ukraine hasn't been, you right. know, taken over. It sends a yeah. message to anybody trying to invade anyone else. But even if the U.S. didn't give money to Ukraine, a lot of other countries did exactly. and were. And yeah. it's unclear if Russia had the resources to begin with. Like right now, they're sending people who have just no skills at all in the military to be in the military. But I want to say the most important issues, number one, is the economy. 33% of people care about the economy. And they care about recession, taxes, inflation, lack of money, unemployment, gap between rich and poor, oil prices. The money is the most important thing. Number two is sort of a BS one, the government slash poor leadership. That just seems like a partisan issue. Like no matter who's in charge, the other half is going to say that's a big problem. Number three is immigration. 11% of people yes. care about immigration. And that includes all the immigrants like you, mm -hmm. Jay. <laughs> and, yeah. and then also all the people who care about, you know, immigration and so on. And then after that, there's 3% care about crime and violence. And th only 3% think the most important problem is foreign policy, foreign aid, focus overseas. What? Only 2% think the most important problem in the U.S. is the situation with Russia. 2% think abortion is the most important problem. Situation with China, 1%. I think that Robin is that entire 1%. <laughs> so, Well, let me, let me ask you this, James. Let me ask you this. I would think it's a good idea to have a president just for the state and then a president that deal with foreign policy. Because I felt like that it's hard for one person. Obviously, one person can wear multiple hats, but isn't it better if you have one person focused like family, you know? That is a very good point, Jay. In fact, there's almost, but not quite, a precedent for this, uh, oh, really? which is to start off, Richard Nixon. Mm -hmm. uh, resigned as president in August of 1974. He was about to be impeached. He decided to resign instead. And Gerald Ford, who was his vice president, took over. And so from 1974 to January 1977, Gerald Ford was president, one of the shortest terms of presidency ever. He did not win re-election, so he lost to Jimmy Carter. And then in 1980, Ronald Reagan was the Republican nominee for president, and he was strongly considering Gerald Ford to be the vice president. So the mm. former president almost became the vice president. That had never happened before. And Gerald Ford's terms were, he said he would do it, but only if he was virtually president for all things foreign relations and Ronald Reagan would remain president for all things domestic. And Reagan said, get out of here. I don't even need you. What? And Ford did not become vice president. A young man and former director of the CIA named George Bush became vice president and the rest is history. But mm. but yeah, it's an interesting thing. You know, typically what happens is the secretary of state is sort of the main person in charge of all foreign relations, but he still has to report to the president. He can't do anything without right. the president. So it is the case. I mean, we have another precedent, which is that George W. Bush, he brought on Dick Cheney to be his vice president. And Dick Cheney was roughly almost, in terms of power, almost it was at the same level as W and particularly on foreign issues. Like it was Dick Cheney who mostly encouraged like the invasion of Iraq, for instance. 
in part because he had worked for the older Bush and it was, you know, the older Bush had a grudge against Saddam Hussein and, and, you know, and, and so on, but it's never, it's, a, it's an interesting idea, but you still need one person to kind right. of say, like Truman makes it as a famous quote, the buck stops here. Uh, like you, you always have to, you know, the president is in charge. So you, so if someone is to blame, it's always the president. Gotcha. Like a lot of people, regardless of how you feel, whether Trump is a good guy, a bad guy, a fascist, the greatest president, like some people have extreme views on either side when it comes to Trump. There was an issue that I really cared about in the pandemic, which was, I don't think we should have locked down the businesses. It's unclear if any lives were saved. You could have done it in a better way that didn't put the economy into a situation which created the economy we're in now. And Republicans will blame the Democrats. The Democrats will blame the Republicans. Like what the Democrats wanted and, and voted for businesses to be shut down. But ultimately, the buck stops with the president. Some things I would say that are in the positive column for Trump, but this thing is very much in the negative column. And there's never one president that does everything bad and everything good. And that includes Nixon, that includes Trump, that includes Jimmy Carter, who many think was an awful president. Uh, that includes Lyndon Baines Johnson, that includes possibly the worst president ever, Warren G. Harding or Herbert Hoover. Everybody does some good and some bad. And so definitely yeah. one of the bad things, maybe the worst thing in Trump's administration was the lockdown in the economy. Even though he would say it's not his fault that the Democrats pressured him into it, that was a negative thing. I could say positive things too, but then we get into this area where people are religious about the positive and negative of right. Trump. And I don't want to get into that, but I will tell you the most important thing. I agree with the people who say the economy is the most important problem facing the country, yep. facing any country, because there's a saying when a country is developing, you either trade bullets or dollars. And you know, if a country can't develop economically, they're going to end up going to war in order to get the economic benefits of war, like taking right. over another country's resources. This was the historical reason for war always is that, oh, they have more food in that country. Let's invade them and take over all their food. Right. Isn't uh, U.S. also like the leader of the economy, right? Like everyone's looking at U.S. for economy leadership and economy guidance. Right. Like here's the thing. Every country has their own currency. And if people demand your currency because they trust your economy, that's the best way to avoid inflation. So the best way to avoid real inflation is when other countries want your stuff. Right. And you know that makes the economy grow faster than inflation. It's not that inflation's bad, it's that, that wages need to grow faster than inflation. The economy needs to grow faster than inflation. So people always say, oh, inflation's X and that's bad. There's no black and white to this. But you basically have to figure out a way to give more people money. And this is where a lot of people get it wrong. You can't just say, oh, we're going to do a, uh, a bailout of blah, blah, blah. You have to have a justification for it that will make the economy grow or else there will be inflation. Now, the U.S. is the most trusted economy. One, because we take, for the most part, we take private property rights very seriously. If you have an idea and you patent it, then you make money when someone steals your idea. If right. you own a home, somebody else can't just go in your home and say, this is my home now. The government can't even do that. I mean, unless you didn't pay your taxes or whatever. You know, the other thing about economy is the United States just is where all the innovation happens. It's the biggest economy because, not because we sell a lot of toilet paper, we don't. It's because we sell our inventions like biotech, now AI, you know, robots, all these things. Even if we outsource to China the development of these things, all the iPhones are built in China, but the U.S. is the one that sells the iPhones. The Apple is located in the U.S. They're not located in China. They buy the components and, and the pieces that put together into the iPhone, but Apple's the one that actually sells the iPhone. So right. the U.S. by far is the biggest economy. 20, people say, oh, China's growing faster. They're going to beat us. Maybe, but the U.S. is at $23 trillion in national GDP. China is at 17 trillion and Japan number three is at 5 trillion and Germany is fourth. Gotcha. So like the, the difference is pretty huge. And India, by the way, growing fast is fifth. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Also, just now when you mentioned toilet paper, 
You say, you know, toilet paper doesn't really make money. I just look it up. In 2023, do you know how much revenue in toilet paper segments uh, amount to? No. $107.4 billion. Wow, toilet paper? Yeah. You're saying there $107 billion worth of toilet paper was sold? Apparently so, according to uh, what's called Statista.com. And the market is expected to grow annually by 5.92% CAGR 2023 to 2027. Well, there you go. So <laughs> toilet paper is an important part of the economy, but I would argue that technology is a much bigger part of Probably. the economy. Yeah, because like technology actually push the civilizations forward, right? Yeah, and also technology is something that you can't beat us on because we're so far mm-hmm. ahead in terms of research. Like biotech, we are so far ahead of everyone else on biotech that it's hard for anybody to catch up. So yeah. it's really important to create an economy that supports technological innovation. And this is related to immigration too. Like if more and more, let's say, Asian people decide to go to graduate school in India or China and then stay in India and China and build their businesses there, that hurts the U.S. economy. Because traditionally, the smartest people in these countries would come to the U.S. for graduate school, then move to Silicon Valley, start a company, make tens of millions of dollars, hire tens of thousands of people, create inventions that we sell around the world, and and so on. But fewer and fewer Asian people are going to graduate school here, which means fewer and fewer people, Asian people are starting companies here and so on. But immigration is not the most important issue. As I mentioned, it's one of the most important issues. Right. But the economy in general, that's one part of the economy. Sorry, I just want to add something on the immigrations real quick. So in 2011, Dr. Michio Keku, remember Dr. Michio Keku? Michio Keiko, yeah. We had him on with he we had him on when when William Shatner came on <laughs> and we surprised William Shatner by He's having Michio Keiko come on and come up on the stage and tell us how to use quantum mechanics to make teleportation. Right. Uh, but then Michio Keiko, I did ask him, and Michio Keiko admitted that if you do teleport, probably you die and just a replica of you yep. is teleported. So it's not really worth it. Right. So in 2011, Dr. Michio Kaiku on a stage did mention that, you know, America has a secret weapon. America's secret weapon is H1B. That's how, you know, in, you know the, the innovations because of the H1B. Because people stay here, they get a H1B. H1B is a visa for, you know, for, for immigrants. And, you know, that, that's how they make all the innovations in science and, you know, technology. But like you mentioned, like more and more people decided to leave U.S. to go to India and China to get their, you know, their degrees and to start a business there. Even Dubai and was it Israel has a huge startup uh, initiative? Yeah, right, right. So look, and that's a good thing too. It's better for the world if the entire world develops. Right. But you know, it's still important for the U.S. To remain first again. That's why. Look, that's why people buy oil with U.S. dollars. That's why the U.S. dollar is the most trusted currency, and it's why our inflation in the U.S. is not even greater than it is now, despite all the money that's been printed during the pandemic and the Great Recession and so on. Mm-hmm. But so that that's that's a part of the picture. But I kind of think the biggest part of the picture is just give people more money. Mm-hmm. So, but but not in a way, not through bailouts. And I'm going to describe what I mean. This is going to be related to to taxes. Here's the problem with taxes is that let's say, Jay, I decide, okay, you know, I'm going to take 10% more. I'm going to raise your taxes 10%. And what am I, what am I, the government going to do with that extra money? I have to do something with it, right? The U S spends more than it makes. So every dollar that's taxed is spent every year. So I'm going to do something. Let's say I, I give that money to the department of education. Oh, okay. You say, well, here, here's 10% more of my salary. It's going to a good resource, education. Here's the problem. And I I just say the Department of Education randomly, but I could say this about any department. Since the Department of Education started, the quality of American education has gone down. Like student loan debt has gone up faster than inflation every single year since the Department of Education started. Tuitions have gone up faster than inflation every single year since the Department of Education started. Literacy rates compared to the rest of the world, have gone down every oh, single wow. year since the Department of Education started. doesn't mean everything they've done is bad. It just means you, Jay, 
could have probably spent this money in a more useful way than the government. So why do the government need to raise your taxes 10%? The government is not the best decision makers. We already know we, we already know the importance of growing the economy. That's what keeps right. your currency strong and it what keeps uh, inflation down. That's the importance of a growing economy. We know that the government spending does not grow the economy as much as technological innovation. And that in general, politicians and bureaucrats are not entrepreneurs. Like you look at Federal Express, Federal versus the post office. It used to be the post office would be the primary way you would send packages. But now Fred Smith, so uh, this business school graduate, he had this idea that he can find cheap planes and have hubs all around the country. He could find cheap planes to send packages in one day. And he created a more efficient service than the US government. It's a classic example. So taxes are a real important issue. And for every dollar, either private industry gets the dollar or the government gets the dollar. Either you get an extra dollar, Jay, to spend, or the government gets your dollar. When right. you get an extra dollar, you buy a newspaper with it, the newspaper guy buys a flower with it, the flower guy, maybe it's part of his Netflix subscription. So a dollar moves around the economy many times before it kind of dies out. So it's very important. We, we, we always complain about the gap between the rich and the poor. And that is an issue because people get angry when they see other people making so much money. But the real important issue is corporations and individuals like you, Jay, if you had, you know, everybody who has more money, they get entrepreneurial, particularly more startups are starting than ever. Startups create inventions and innovations like nobody, no, like the, okay, the government made the internet, but the internet didn't become used until basically 25 or 26 years after the internet was created. You know, people started making websites on this new thing, the web, and that became this huge part of the economy. And that was done by private industry. It was not done by the government. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day. That initial 
when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be... VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of, because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Let me ask you something. But before I ask you something, I just want to tag on to the post office one. In February 2023, USPS is closing 40 post offices. Yeah, I mean, the post office is just... We're losing look- money. It's because people can't afford to send simple letters. But by the way, when was the last time you sent a letter? You sent email. Yeah. So again, a private industry, by the way, did not invent email. Okay. Yeah. It was invented in universities and it was government funded. But, you know, AOL, let's say, was the first big public use of email. And this was in the early 90s. And that was created by private industry. Steve Case. He actually, he wasn't the t- founder of AOL, but he was one of the he was the one of the first he was the second or third CEO there, and he was the one who really made it huge. He basically popularized the use of email that was done in private industry. Now, let's yeah. say AOL uh, was taxed ninety percent; ninety percent of their profits were taxed. Well, they would never have been able to hire a Steve Case or to build the tools they needed to do to make email popular. And what would the government have done with that money? Well, a big chunk of the government budget is defense. So it would have gotten into like, you know, war and tanks and things like right. that. So, well, so again, the market is a better decider of what to do with dollars than the government is. Just like we discussed last time, right. Russia couldn't feed its population because they tried to plan everything from beginning to end. Whereas New York City also can't feed its population but that's okay because, oh, some people want to buy food from Walmart. Some people want to buy food from this place, from that place. So the market decides how supply and demand are met as opposed to one government leader. Right. So again, private industry having money. So, so let me tell you, here's my plan to drastically reduce and simplify right. taxes in a way that's fair to both poor and rich. I have one question, real questions. This could be a really dumb question or a silly question. There, there are no dumb questions, as they say, although sometimes, you know, maybe <laughs> you ask dumb questions, but. <laughs> Can taxation be privatized? Uh, you know, that's an interesting question. Like, meaning make the IRS like a business that the government hires. Or like our tax, right? At least, so we have like how, I don't even know how much percentage that we give to federal. At least a percentage of the percent that we give to federal on federal tax, maybe should go to be privatized and to have more startup or to have a better amenities for the country or stuff like that. Well, it still depends whether it's privatized or not, what percentage, the, the goal would be to lower the percentage right. of taxes people pay. So whether it's privatized or not, doesn't matter. Right. What if the whole tax, taxation is privatized? But what do you mean? Like, would people pay less taxes? So let's say if you privatize, right? Like, so let's say if the country big profit out of this, eventually it will lead to the, the lessons of the tax, right? Because if the economy grow, then the tax will go down. Well, it's, it's unclear. Maybe, if it's, you know, we don't know. We have no idea. Like, mm. uh, you would have to have a plan to reduce taxes. So whether God, it's privatized or not doesn't really matter as much. It might be more, of, here's the problem with, with taxes, and this is related to your question, is that the higher taxes are, 
the more people avoid taxes, the more people, mm. the more tax evasion there is. It's a big right. problem. Like there's billions every year, maybe hundreds of billions that are not collected in taxes because the higher taxes are, the more people avoid paying taxes, either through some loopholes or just illegally. So the goal would be, again, privatized or not, the goal would be to reduce taxes mm. so that the government actually can collect more taxes and maybe not lose so much money and people don't have to spend as much on their taxes. So when, again, when people don't spend as much on taxes, they either buy things like food, shelter, technology, and so on, or they start companies and hire people and give people money by creating jobs. So let's just discuss, I would say the big issue is how to reduce taxes. Oh, wait, Jay, you had a second question. Oh, uh, no, that, that's the only questions. Oh, okay. That was the only questions. The other one is like a silly, like a throwback because the post office one, the, the, the post office issue sort of uh, was in Seinfeld. I don't know if you remember. No. There was a Seinfeld episode where Kramer just go around and say, let's stop using the post office and we start using faxes and, uh, and email instead. And then Newman is like, Kramer, what are you doing here? You, you know, you're, you're making me out of jobs or something like that. Yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, the post office used to be like one of the most reliable uh, places for a job. Like it was total job security. You got a great pension. By right. the way, great book to read. Charles Bukowski's first novel called Post Office right. about his life as a mailman. And it's a great novel. All right, novel now, based on his life. Now so, back to your uh, policy on taxes. Yes. So first off, how much did the government actually collect from taxes? So right now, like last year, the government collected about $4.5 trillion from income taxes, corporate taxes, payroll taxes, and estate taxes. So if you lower this amount, if you lower the amount of taxes that are collected, you have to somehow replace that amount. So $4.5 trillion, keep that money in your mind. That's how much we collect from income taxes, corporate taxes, payroll taxes, and estate taxes. Now, how much does the government spend? We spend about $6 trillion per year. So we borrow money every year, almost every year. There are a few years where we don't borrow money because the government's doing very well, but in general, the government spends about $6 trillion per year. Okay, uh, do you mind explaining how does government borrow money? Is it the same as printing money? No, uh, uh, the government can print money. We have the power to do that, but we have to be very careful about that because mm -hmm. We're in a, we printed a lot of money in 2020, and now we have inflation that's higher than it's been in a long time. But but the government just basically the biggest lender to the government, I think, is China. Okay. So China lends the U.S. a lot of money. So China has something like two trillion dollars of American money in our banks because you can't keep American dollars in other banks. And so China is the the biggest holder of U.S. I think China probably has more dollars than the U.S. has. So. Why does China buy dollars is because they're constantly buying American products and they're also buying a lot of oil and you have to buy oil with dollars. And again, demand for the dollar is what keeps inflation down. Mm. But again, we spend $6 trillion a year. This is why the debt ceiling has to be raised all the time. Now, how much do consumers spend? Consumers spend, and this is very important. This is very important for because it's related to my solution. Consumer spending is about 16 trillion dollars per year, not counting home buying. So look, we buy our iPhones, our iPads, our Teslas. So here's, here's what my solution is, is reduce taxes. Right now, taxes are about 30 to 40%, depending on what your income bracket is, depending on how much you make, you pay about 30 to 40% in federal taxes and then sometimes up to another 15 or 16% in state and city taxes. I think it's the great economist 50 Cent who said that he doesn't earn a dollar of his own money for himself until September or, or October every year because he pays federal, New York State, and New York City taxes up to like 70% almost. That's why he only has 50 cents. Yeah, that's why he only has 50 cents. And he is a great economist. Like no other economist just says it as simply as that. Like. Paul Krugman writes all these like 50,000 word articles 
about the economy that I can't understand. And then 50 Cent just says something simple. I think he's called 50 Cent because he is a great economist, actually. Yeah. But that he he was first a, a Nobel level economist, and then he decided to become a, 50 a rapper. Cent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so here's my solution. You reduce income taxes, and I'll say the exact numbers that I think work in a little bit. You reduce income taxes to a flat level. Let's just pretend for a second it's 10%. This is some people have proposed reducing it to 0%, but I don't think that's realistic. There's a congressman in Georgia right now who basically is saying, get rid of the IRS, no income taxes at all, and make a 30% national sales tax. So when you buy like a newspaper for a dollar, you have to actually spend a dollar thirty because the sales tax would be 30%. And that would be much easier to collect. There's no loopholes to avoid the sales tax and everybody just has to send their sales taxes in to the government. And so, but I think that's a, a little too high, 30% sales tax. Right. I think that would make the prices of everything go up. It would feel like inflation. I don't think it would work. It seems too much. So I, my goal is make a very small income tax. Again, let's say 10%. That's just standard for everyone. So it's not complicated to calculate and it could practically eliminate IRS. If you just simplify, like you don't charge for social security, you don't charge for FICA, all these weird little taxes that you have to pay in your paycheck. You just have one 10% flat income tax and then make a 10% national sales tax. Now you say to yourself, oh, I already pay sales taxes. Well, no, you don't pay any national, there's zero national sales taxes. It's sales taxes are state taxes or are state sales taxes. So you might have to pay, if your state sales tax was four or 5%, now you have to pay 14%, but mm -hmm. prices wouldn't necessarily rise. It's small enough. Let's just go over a few things. Some people say, well, that hurts the poor and adds to the rich because the poor, they spend their entire income on food, shelter, clothing, the things they need. When I say poor, I mean, you know, they make below a certain amount, you know, the average salary. So they'll have to spend a bigger portion of their income on sales taxes. But then again, they have to spend less on income taxes, but I have a, a big solution for them. The solution is, is that you can get a rebate. Basically the first $20,000 you consume, you get a rebate at the end of the year for all your sales taxes. So if the sales tax was 10% and you spent more than 20,000 a year, you would get $2,000 back at the end of the year. So you're not charged any sales tax at all, basically for the first $20,000 you consume. So okay. I think that makes it so that anybody making less than $50,000, they'll end up paying much less in taxes than they pay now. You know, would some people still benefit and some people not benefit? Sure, but this I think that solves 99% of the problem. The other thing is tourists, people who aren't US citizens, who we can't, we we get no money, the federal government gets no money from them because they don't pay US income taxes. Right. Tourists spend $1.1 trillion per year in the US. So so now instead of getting instead of the federal government getting zero dollars from tourists. The federal government would get $110 billion from tourists. So this would remove some of the burden of US taxes to foreigners who visit the US. Would this stop people from visiting the US? No, of course not. Like maybe more people would visit the US than ever because companies would have more money to spend. So they would create more advantages for tourists to come here and see the United States. Yeah, and 10% is not that big, to be honest, right? No, I mean, particularly if you're not paying any, as much income, if your income tax goes from 40% to 10%, you have a lot more disposable income. So yeah. it's a huge, huge, huge cut. Uh, the other thing is, now this is not a big amount compared to the federal budget of $6 trillion, but the IRS budget is about $200 billion. They spent $200 billion collecting the $4.5 trillion in income taxes because it's hard to collect and so many people, there's so many loopholes and tax evasions. They have to do, you know, they're passing a law right now where they want to uh, give $80 billion more to the IRS to hire more people to collect money. 80 billion. Yeah. So my solution is just eliminate the IRS and save on all the money that's used to collect income taxes. 
I am so glad you convinced me that the family car should be the Defender 110. It is so beautiful inside. It's so comfortable and it just feels indestructible. Yes, it really is. I've been waiting a long time for the new model to come out. The Defender 110, I'm telling you, it's my favorite car of all times. It's my third one. You know, I have stories of going off road. The guy managed the group. He was like, what are you doing in this beautiful car? I'm like, I'm going off road. He's like, are you sure? Because you can use one of ours. And then they look like Mad Max cars. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going to do this. And he was shocked. Wow. Well, it's great because the Defender has been reimagined for 21st century adventure and its unparalleled off-road ability as well as its robust interior are invaluable whether you're headed towards uncharted territory or just a weekend of exploration. The Defender 110 tackles challenging surroundings with absolute confidence. The SUV conveys strength outside and in, featuring peerless technology like an intuitive driver display and an award-winning infotainment system. That's my favorite part, to keep you connected no matter where the journey takes you. Adventure is unique to everyone, and so is the Defender. Choose from the two-door Defender 90, the four-door Defender 110, or the larger Defender 130 with the ability to seat up to eight passengers. You'll find uncompromising performance in all three. So pack up and go even further with the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS, HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use HIMS from now Not on. that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hims.com/james. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hims.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Don't you still need some sort of body or some sort of some people to go for those still try to avoid taxes or try to escape taxes? If there's a 10% flat income tax, there's almost no incentive. Okay, right now, about 15% of taxes in this country are unpaid. People just Hmm. don't pay or there's tax evasion or whatever. So that's equivalent to $600 billion. So if, if by reducing the income tax to 10%, people say, ah, screw it. I'm not going to go through the headache of trying to avoid taxes. I'll just pay. It's only 10%. You'll actually end up collecting, potentially collecting almost as much money from income taxes and collecting a lot more from this national sales tax. So that's why this hybrid tax, maybe you make it a 5% flat tax and 10% national uh, sales tax. This would, again, I don't know if it would collect Four and a half trillion. We'll get to the numbers in a second, but it would drastically increase the number of dollars. Here's the thing, too, about collecting taxes. It's not like the country has one level of income and then we just collect the same amount every year. You want to do things that grow the economy. It could be the case that doing a strategy like this grows the economy so fast that you end up collecting much more in taxes very quickly. 
Because again, what grows faster, the tech industry or government? The tech industry grows much faster than government. So if you give more, if you let companies that are entrepreneurial and are doing a lot of, like, let's say healthcare companies are doing a lot of good for the world, tech companies doing a lot of good for the world. If you let them keep more of their money, they will hire more people. They will create more medicines. They will create more. I mean, government doesn't create medicine. The companies create medicines. Uh, they'll create more uh, automation, which improves productivity, which creates more industries and more jobs and more companies and so on. So you want them to, you want the companies that grow the economy to retain more money because they are, they are smarter at allocating money. Who would you rather allocate money? A smart allocator, well-known allocator like Warren Buffett or Congress, which is, you know, I don't want to call them corrupt, but they do, everybody's got their own political agenda. They, they all have what's called pork, which is they, you know, they try to get funding for their own districts. And so they, you know, the money, the money is not allocated in a rational way. It's not allocated in a market driven way. It's allocated in a very political agenda way. And again, a lot of taxes are unpaid. So it's not like the income tax is that efficient. So personal income is something like $22 trillion and corporate profits before taxes are something like 3 trillion. So $25 trillion, that's the number we use when we collect the four and a half trillion in taxes. Right. And that four and a half trillion is a big number. If society had an extra four or three and a half trillion dollars to spend, so many jobs would be created. So many new things would be invented. So much more would be created every single year that the economy would grow faster that ultimately, even if taxes were 10% or even lower, you'd end up making a lot more money. So a flat tax of 10% would generate about two and a half trillion. I mentioned there was two and a half trillion in profits uh, and income. So a flat tax of 10% would generate two and a half trillion. Okay. A national sales tax, I've called it 12 and a half percent. Okay, it would create 2 trillion. So if you did that, it would completely replace the four and a half trillion dollars. Now, I know I said 12 and a half percent for a national sales tax. Okay, make it 10%. And my assumption is the economy would grow so fast that you could either lower the national sales tax pretty quickly, or you could lower the national income tax pretty quickly. Because the, the, the first benefit of reducing taxes is that people and companies would have more money. But then the second benefit is that they would spend more money. And when they spend money, that means businesses grow faster. Now, don't be anti-business because anti-business is what hires all the jobs that everybody has. So right. there are more jobs would be created. The economy would grow faster than inflation and all would be good instantly. So again, and again, by the way, we would put some of the burden on the tourists that visit the US. So that relieves the burden somewhat. Now here, again, uh, let's say the lower tax rate plus a rebate. If you have a 12.5% sales tax and you're letting people get money back for the first $20,000 they consume, that means the one purpose of a new IRS would be to give back $2,500 per year to a family of four that needs the money to survive. So on average, people making up to from zero to $200,000 per year would make more money, significantly more money under this plan. There would be less headaches and stress and suicides and anxiety around tax season, which is happening yep. right now. Everybody just paid their taxes April 15th. Corporations would hire more people. The economy would grow much faster. And if the economy grows faster, we could then reduce income taxes and sales taxes much more. So would this encourage people to spend less since prices paid would go up because of the sales tax? I don't think so because there would be higher take-home pay. Yeah, people will spend more, right? Like I know if, if that happens, I would definitely spend more because there's a lot of stuff that I want to buy or I might want a healthier food because it's, it's crazy because it's so much more expensive to be healthy than go to a McDonald's or go to a Little Caesars to buy pizza. Is that what you do? You go to Little Caesars? That's a very particular pizza place. It is because I, when I was in New York, right? New York's expensive, right? So when I was in New York and Florida, 
I used to live across the street from Little Caesars, and I was I has no money. I have no money, even though my rent was like six hundred dollars. But I still like you know I just graduated. I have no income whatsoever. I would go to Little Caesars, get a ten dollars Caesar uh pizza bundle for ten dollars, give you a large pizza, breadsticks, and a bottle of Pepsi. You know I would ration my pizza for three days. So ten dollars for six meals, I would just eat pizza. Two pizza per meal. And some breadsticks. So two pizza per minute and one breadsticks. Yeah, well, it's definitely like you see this in poor neighborhoods. The rates of diabetes and obesity are much higher because yeah. a it's hard to get healthy food. Like they don't have Whole Foods or health food stores in in poor neighborhoods. You know, I think this. I think this would solve a lot of a lot of those issues as well. And again, speaking about areas with lower income, the first twenty thousand dollars gets rebated to you anyway. So right. you're not being charged at all anyway. The first $20,000 for anybody, including you, me, Jeff Bezos, and somebody who makes no income, the first $20,000 of consumption of your sales tax gets rebated to you. So again, right now, there's a bill going through Congress which would eliminate all income taxes and put a national sales tax of 30%, which also, by the way, would replace the $4.5 trillion completely. But my gut tells me that 30% is too high. It just feels a high. Lot. Yeah. A low flat income tax does we're we're used to income taxes. We don't mind we we're, we'd be happy we we'd do a dance in the streets if you made a, an income tax of 10% instead of 30 or 40%. And because this is designed to make the economy grow, if the economy grows, you need to have fewer taxes so you could reduce that sales tax or income tax as you decide eventually anyway, maybe even in just a year or two. Now, the other thing you can do, can either make, the economy can either make more money or the government could spend less. So the other thing I would do is spend less. Now, the two biggest expenditures of the US government are social security and defense. Now, I don't, we need social security and we need defense, but let's just take a look for a second. Social security you know, kicks in, you you can opt to kick in your social security at the age of 62 years old. And 65 is usually when it starts. But when social security was developed in 1935, I mean, the average life expectancy was eight years less, eight years lower than it is now. So it makes sense that the age, and this is going to be a very unpopular opinion. So it's probably why it's never been proposed. So maybe there's a way to do this. Maybe there isn't a way, or, or I'll get to that in a second. But my, the initial proposal is don't let social security kick in at 62 started at the age of 70 life expectancy has increased eight years. So add eight years to when social security kicks in. Isn't that what happened? Sorry. Isn't that what happened in Paris? Isn't that's why the protests happened in Paris? Maybe, and that makes sense. See, that's the thing. It's a very unpopular decision, but here's how I would do it so there's no protest. Is A, don't kick it in immediately. Have it phase in. So anybody who's like 50 years old right now, you know, you can argue I'm saying this because I'm over 50, but whatever. Make it any age, an arbitrary age. Pick an age where anybody above that age, there's no changes to when they can get Social Security. Mm. But if you're 25 years old now, okay, now you have to wait till 70 before you can get social security. Remember, you're not paying social security tax anymore in my plan. It's just a flat income tax. So someone who's 25 will say, okay, I'd rather have money, make the money and save the money now than keep contributing to something for when I'm 70 years old. So younger people are going to be more okay with this and won't protest. So we just have a phase in and uh, we don't punish the people who've already been contributing so much to social security. If you do this, if you just raise the age by which people could take Social Security, you would save $800 billion. Wow. That, that's a huge number. So you go from $6 trillion to $5.2 trillion in spending. Now, let's talk about defense. Reduce manpower. Like we're in, we're in like 100 countries. We have military bases. And obviously, there are a lot of wars we could avoid. And maybe we need to think a little bit about, more about what wars we get involved in. Like, we were in Iraq for 18 years and Afghanistan for 18 years, and it was just a disaster. Yeah. If you have a baby, then your kids will probably grow up as a teenager. So. Actually, that's true. Uh, Molly was born 
the the month we invaded Iraq, and now she's you know yeah. an adult. So, uh, but anyway, you, you, if you reduce manpower by twenty percent, and again, all of those people could easily find jobs in the private sector, particularly if the economy is growing. But you would basically, or if you force our allies, which depend on our military budget, you know, like NATO is largely funded by the United States. If you force allies to foot some of the bill, the U.S. could save about a trillion a wow. year. So that gets us, that actually, those, just doing those two things. And by the way, I'm just picking those things because they're the largest expenses, but you could start going line by line through the Department of Education, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of, you know, Housing and Urban Development, and on and on. Each each area has huge expenses that could be cut. But I'm just talking about those two things would reduce the federal budget enough that that the tax plan I'm proposing would completely feed the you know you would you would not have a a, a deficit every year like we have now. Now, a deficit is not so bad if you could borrow money and print money. In fact, there's so much demand for U.S. dollars, we don't mind lending money at 0% interest rates, particularly if there's a little bit of inflation. That means when people have to pay us back, or that means when we have to pay back, sorry, when the U.S. has to pay back, the money is worth less than when we borrowed it. So it's not so bad to have debt, by the way, if you're a country. It's different than individual debt, where it's much right. more painful. A country is, is better to have long-term debt. So it means the government could actually spend more money in this plan uh, and spend it more wisely and then allocate it better. So again, but just those two initiatives, defense and social security, you could balance the budget and in the tax plan with a 10% flat income tax and then a 10 to 12.5% national sales tax with the plan to bring it down as the economy grows, this would, more people would have money in their pocket. There would be more jobs, more inventions. The economy would grow faster. The budget would be balanced. People would trust the U.S. more as a reserve currency, you know, as, a, as so that would keep inflation down. All of these things, and this is the problem that is biggest on people's minds. If you ask anybody, a third of people say the the money in their bank account and their wallet is their biggest problem, you know. And then next is immigration at eleven percent compared to thirty three percent. So this is this is the biggest problem facing this country, and yet we do nothing every single year. We do nothing at all to solve it. We spend more money. We tax more people. Poor, rich, the rich, by the way, don't get taxed. Like, yes, Elon Musk says he's paid the most taxes of any individual in history. But in general, like someone like Warren Buffett, he doesn't really make an income. He keeps his money in stocks. You only get taxed when you sell the stocks. Now, someone like AOC, who's has the worst knowledge of the economy of anybody on the planet. And um, by the way, she is perhaps the greatest politician on the planet because she's used her voice so powerfully at such a young age. She's, she's so talented at that. But she is literally the worst person in the planet for understanding the economy. She thinks you can tax when unrealized gains, meaning let's say, Jay, you own Apple stock and it goes up. Even if you don't sell it, you should get taxed. Well, what if it goes down next year? You don't get yeah. your money back. So you that's why they only tax when you sell the stock. But people like AOC are proposing you tax unrealized gains. That's called unrealized gains when you don't sell it and you're still taxed. That's ridiculous. That would destroy the economy because nobody would then right. be interested in funding. The, the whole reason for the stock market is not for gamblers to make money, but it's for companies to, to have incentive and potentially raise money to fund more hiring more people, uh, starting new companies, inventing new products, and on and on. That's the reason for a stock exchange, uh, hedging risk, and, and so on. So so you can't just use everything people... People are trying to hire more people and invent more things because there's incentives to do that. And you can't do that if you're constantly fighting with people who want to tax every little, single little thing you do. So, so the system I propose, A, it would keep more money in people's pocket. It's the biggest problem in, in the country and nobody is trying to solve it except in these ridiculous ways like a 30% national sales tax, which is going in the right direction, but just is a weird, crazy way to do it. And they know it's not going to pass anyway, so that's why they're proposing it. My system's more rational. It keeps an income tax and introduces a sales tax and it has 
rebates. It's not a regressive tax. It doesn't hurt just the lower income versus higher income. And if on top of it, you reduce spending in these very obvious ways, but might not be politically you know, satisfying, you would balance the budget. And again, I describe the social security in a way that would be politically satisfying. Like just don't hurt people who have already paid social security taxes because they're expecting it at 62. Pick an age. I don't care what age. Anyway, that is the first and most important issue. I would deal with it. I don't think anyone's ever proposed a hybrid sales income tax like I'm doing. Like why not? I'm just curious, why not? Because people take extremes. And also because people, uh, pe I would say a good 30% of the country is probably like, has the economic knowledge of an AOC. She, she represents the worst of the worst in terms of economic knowledge. And then there's a whole group of people who think higher taxes are good because the government is good. But you have to ask yourself, how is the government spending the money? Do you approve of how the government is spending the money? Like Jeff Bezos is not everyone's favorite billionaire, but he created the largest store in the world that all of us use every day. And it helped the world so much during the pandemic. And it, it's created so many jobs. And it's, it's also created side hustles and more income for tens of millions of people. Like forget about Jeff Bezos. Don't be, don't, somebody very smart told me, don't ever look at what in someone else, what's in someone else's wallet. Look at what's in your wallet. And let's just focus on making your wallet fatter and bigger. And don't worry so much about the people who are inventing the new economy. And every year is a new economy. So don't hurt those people. And just ask yourself, would you rather, a, you know, smart, creative, entrepreneurial people allocate the money? And of course, we would, you know, keep all the law enforcement, no corruption, nothing illegal, regulate industries if you need to, but don't inhibit the most creative people in the economy and give the money to the post office, the, you know, nothing against the post office. I'm just using it as an example, but don't give it to the least creative bureaucrats in the country. Give it to the creatives to figure out how to grow the economy and it'll work that this plan will just work. And every dollar that the government doesn't spend is spent in private industry. And that's what keeps people alive. So that's it. That's policy number one. Probably and the most important. It's so important. Yeah. You don't even need practically any other policy. Okay. Now, you know, you could look at immigration in the context of will it help grow the economy or not? Now you have to also be, you know, humanitarian and, and help people who work hard in this country and, you know, who came in legally. You have to really think about all the nuances on the illegal immigration. It's a very complicated issue. You know, there's a lot of issues that are, are much smaller in people's minds that are very complicated and very nuanced. This one is so big and so important and yet nobody deals with it. And that's what's disturbing to me. And that's why this country could fail is because no one's dealing with it. Like right now, we're solving higher inflation by raising interest rates so much that it's going to cause a recession. That's not the way to solve this problem. But anyway, that's all I have to say about this issue. Altucher 2024. Let's, let's go. go. Make it not a joke. Make it real. But you know, for now it's a joke. But the issues are real. Yeah. And if anyone has more questions to ask James, go to jamesaltuchershow.com slash askaltucher. You will greet it by a Google form and then just, you know, input your your questions and then we will answer it. Or you could tweet it. Just tweet to at jaltucher. Like follow me and then tweet to at jaltucher. Yep. Uh, and I'll, I'll be able yeah. to see it. This is a good one. And, and uh, would I be a, I can't be any, I can't hold any government positions, can I? Uh, yeah, you can hold everything except uh, president and vice president. Oh, maybe I would be a what, speaker of house or whatever. You could, or that's hard because you have to get elected. I'll just appoint you like a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> that's a, you know, you don't, have, you don't even have yeah. to be a lawyer. You don't have to be a lawyer to be a Supreme Court justice. Is there any Asian Supreme Court justice? I don't think so. Because they're there. I don't think there's ever been an Asian Supreme Court judge. I think you need to be on the Supreme Court, Jay. You're a very fair I'm person. A pretty, I'm pretty fair. I'm, I, you know, if, if I have a dollar, I would give someone a 50 cents, another one 50 cents. Yeah, even on the federal judges on the U.S. Court of Appeals, only 10 are Asian Americans, and there's no Asian who's ever been Supreme Court. Supreme Why not? Court. People are like, hey, you know, we have to have diversity and equality. 
And also that's so many good benefit to have an Asian Supreme Court justice, right? Like the great comedian Ronnie Chang said one time, if you have an Asian president, we work for you guys on Christmas. We even cook for you guys on Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Ronnie Chang is very funny. C-H-I-E-N-G. I highly recommend everybody listen to his stuff. So, all right, Jay. Thanks so much for organizing this podcast. And until next time, there's a lot of great questions that are left to be answered by and the Ask Altature Q. Thank you so much, James. And have a wonderful day. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.